So being program chairman, I thought it was going to be really hard, but it ended up not being that hard. And what we're going to do is we're going to have some people teach series of lessons, and then we're going to have some people from the class teach. And we've got some wonderful speakers from the class, starting with me. We also have Linda Temples. Does her name have an S on it? Yes. Okay. Linda Temples is going to come and talk about how God lifted her during her cancer experience. She said, I don't know if I can talk for 45 minutes, but I can sing in between. So that's going to be a treat. <laughs> be a treat. And I said, well, I'm telling jokes in between mine, so we'll work out just fine. I have uh, Gail Carlius is going to come, and she's going to talk about Judaism and Christianity. She's going to do it for two weeks. Um, I was so impressed with Don McNew when he did a little devotional in prayer that I asked him, and he's going to give a special Thanksgiving um, program. So, I mean, you're in for a treat, I hope, this year. I hope it's going to be great. But we start with me, and <clears throat> the reason I'm here is not because it was a request. It's because I said, you know, a lot of people don't really know me, and so maybe I ought to start off by introducing myself. And I woke up yesterday morning and I said, what was I thinking? <laughs> and I've spoken before. It's not that I'm new to speaking, but every time I do it, I think, you know, why did I, why did I offer to do this? Plus, talking about yourself makes you really vulnerable to other people. So what I'm going to talk about is, is really my life. It's a little, everybody has a story. This is my story. Some of the circumstances of my life you may have had in yours, and God may have dealt with you differently during those circumstances. But I'm going to tell you my life story, but it's going to be based on my relationship with God through my life. Okay? Like, veer off, just to let me know. Head to me. <laughs> She's my good friend. She'll, she'll give me a signal. <laughs> okay, we'll start with my childhood. Number one, I was born in New York City. My parents were immigrants from... Um, Ireland. I'm the youngest of six children. My father worked for the post office. My mother had an eighth grade education and she worked as a domestic and as a nurse's aide in the hospital. We had a great life. My mother, I remember, but my older sisters, I had a, my brother's the oldest and there were five girls. <clears throat> my older sisters were wonderful to me. Absolutely, they loved me. They still tell me how much they love me. So I had, I had a really good life. I had a really good role models in my sisters. Of course, my parents being from Ireland, they, can you still hear me? I don't want to miss you to miss this stuff. I can get closer. Uh, my parents are from Ireland. Of course, being from Ireland, they were Roman Catholic. And very devout Roman Catholic, which most of the Irish people are very devout. We lived down the street from the uh, church and the Catholic elementary school I went to. When, when my parents would get on a real high religiously, we would even say the rosary every night. We'd kneel down the living room and say the rosary. I went to all the Catholic things that were offered. I went to novenas, to masses, everything. During uh, the nativity, when they had the the uh, manger scene, I would sit and I would picture myself and picture God. So I think all my life I had a religious experience and all my life I reached out for God. I have a theory, I don't know if it's a true or not, you can tell me, Paul. I have a theory that when God created man, that he created man with certain needs and one of the needs is for food and so we know to eat. 
Another need is reproduction, so this sexual drive. Another need is safety, and so we, we build houses and we safeguard our bodies. I think that God made us all with a need for him as well. I don't think God sits up there and says, come find me. But I think every man that is born is born with a need for God. I think some people fill it with something other than God. But I think that we are all born with that need for God in our lives. And so I think of myself uh, when I was Catholic, and I'm very, very um, thankful to the Catholic Church for what I learned in the Catholic Church. I feel like it was really the foundation for my faith. It wasn't the fulfillment of my faith, but it was the foundation of my faith. But getting back to my family, six kids, you wonder how do you manage the six kids? Actually, I had five children, so I was almost there. But my mother had everything very structured in our home, and every Friday she would line us up and she would say, okay, it's Friday, it's time to change your underwear. Eleanor, you change with Terry. Kathleen, you change with Terry. <laughs> I'm kidding. For, for Harry, for Harry, he had to change with me. <laughs> anyway, so I was just trying to lighten you up. That's an old. Do you remember Sam Levinson? That was an old Sam Levinson joke. <laughs> anyway, as a Catholic, I. Uh, I made my first communion, and for those of you who don't know Catholicism, that's the first time you really um, go to the Lord's Supper. And, of course, Catholics think that when you take in that host, you're taking in, they call it the doctrine of transubstantiation, that you're actually taking the body of Christ into you at, at that time. And so for little girl, girls, probably not so much boys, for little girls, that's a, that's a big moment because you get this gorgeous white dress, this beautiful veil. I mean, you were like, you know, like the bride almost that day. And I think they may call you the bride of Christ. And I was so excited. And my hair was a little bit long. It was uh, not this color either, come to think of it. <laughs> and uh, my mother used to, um, you ever see those rag curls that they used to do when we were young? My mother put those rag curls in my hair so it would be curly the next day. I went to bed so excited about making my first communion. Now, I told you before, my sisters were so good to me, all except my sister who was two years older than me. You know how it is with competition with those siblings who are closest in age to you. So she comes up to bed after I'm in bed, and she said, Mary, what are you doing? Well, I wasn't doing anything. I was just laying there trying to go to sleep. She said, are you swallowing? I said, just my saliva. She said, oh, you can't make your first communion if you swallow your saliva. You're not supposed to eat it. You see why we didn't get along. You're not supposed to eat after 12 o'clock, so I kept getting up and spitting my saliva. I'm running to the bathroom, spitting my saliva. My mother said, Mary, what are you doing? Spitting my saliva. Eleanor told me I couldn't make my first communion. My mother set it straight, and I did go to sleep. And you may think, what a mean sister. But when we were older, um, one night Eleanor got put to bed because she did something wrong. And then when I went up to bed, I, I was always afraid of the dark. Five sisters, five girls slept in one bedroom in my house. We had this big bedroom, and the five of us slept in it. And so uh, Eleanor had been put to bed early. I went up to go to bed. Eleanor is asleep. I'm scared. So I talked to Eleanor like she's awake. You know, oh, yeah, it was a great day, blah, 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 blah. This is what I'm getting for Christmas and all this stuff. 
My mother says, Mary, who are you talking to? Well, I didn't want my mother to know that I was talking to myself. So I said, Eleanor, Eleanor, she's supposed to be sleeping. Eleanor got a spanking. <laughs> now listen, I didn't, I didn't fess up because I figured, you know, the spanking's done. What good did you for me to fess up, right? So, I mean, you know, that, that sister thing kind of worked both ways. Sometimes she wasn't very nice to me. Sometimes I wasn't very nice to her. Then I made my confirmation. Confirmation is similar to what, what they do in the Methodist church. But when I was growing up in the Catholic church, I went to everything. They had mission weeks. Oh, I must have said something wrong. Anyway, they have, they have mission weeks there. I had... Uh, they have mission weeks there, which is similar to a revival in a Baptist church. I went to every mission week. I did everything that a good Catholic would do, every kind of church experience. Anyway, as a Roman Catholic, I did all the good things a Roman Catholic should do. I did all the things that I thought would strengthen my faith. Um, you've got to find this really hard to believe, but most of my life I was really very shy. <laughs> I tell people I'm still basically shy. I'm just not very basic. <laughs> I really, I really was very shy. Shy to the point where I walked with my head down. Shy to the point. And I can't imagine why. I mean, Paul maybe could figure this out. I had good parents. I had good siblings. Not sure why, but I was painfully shy. Uh, I did. When I threw about the third grade and made good grades, after that it was downhill. I kind of thought I was invisible. And when I, went to, when I went to high school, it got really bad because I played hooky a lot. I did drugs. I never smoked. I never drank. I never was immoral. But it was this thing of not having value somehow. And I, uh, at the height of my hooky playing in my junior year, I played 25 times. Most times I would get a couple of kids to do I grew up in New York, bunches of kids in my class. I'd get some kids to do it with me. We'd go to my house because my parents worked, play cards, sit around and talk, whatever. So you can imagine, when I graduated from high school, there were 800 kids in my, uh, 800 kids in my, son, in my uh, graduating class. I think I was 67 in my graduating class. I did really badly because I didn't feel good about myself. I didn't have motivation. My um, homeroom teacher wrote across my uh, report card, just passed, and underlined it. I didn't think that was very nice. <laughs> anyway, but I knew she did it because my mother brought it to me after I was grown and had changed my ways a little bit. But when I was 17 years old, um, Billy Graham came to New York City to Madison Square Garden and some people, some of my friends, asked me if I would like to go. Now, mind you, I just finished a mission week at the Catholic Church, and they told me that if you went to see the Billy Graham uh, sessions, that it was a mortal sin. Now, I don't know if you know what a mortal sin is, but if you die with a mortal sin on your soul, you go to hell. Die with a venial sin, a light sin, you don't go to hell. You can make amends, and if you die like that, you go to purgatory. So I thought I was going to hell, but, you know, I was not. I was kind of a rebellious teenager, as you can imagine. And so I went to the Billy Graham Crusade. First time in my life I ever heard about a personal relationship with God. Now, mind you, I was very religious, 
I was not really what you call a bad person, but it was the first time I'd ever heard about a personal relationship with God. I was 17 years old. And when he gave the invitation, of course, I didn't know that was the word back then. You know, I'd never heard the word invitation. I didn't go down because I was already going to hell for being there. I was scared out of my wits to go down there. Well, the fellow I was dating who later became my husband, he belonged to a community church there in town. And so I ended up going to that church later on. But what happened was he wanted to get married in his church, which was a community church. Now, if you know anything about the Catholic Church, that means if I married him in that church, I wasn't married at all. And so I said, I don't believe I can do that. Well, I know you're going to think this is way out, but one night I had this dream, and Jesus was in the sky with his hands out. He didn't say anything or give me any great advice, but I felt like it was Jesus saying to me, just come to me. And so I read that as this is what he means for me to do. Anyway, I was married in, outside of the Catholic Church in the community church. My brother went to the wedding. My family, the priest told them it was better if they didn't go because they were condoning a sin. And so they didn't go. But my brother, he married someone who was divorced, so he was out already. So he said, <laughs> what have I got to lose? And so he and his wife came to my wedding. Well... You know, I didn't know a whole lot about this spiritual thing, about this relationship with God. But in order to join that church, I had to take a series of classes in what they call the upper room. Now, that minister was actually a Presbyterian minister. And when we were in those classes, I grew closer and closer to God. And during one of those sessions, I said to the, to the minister, I can reach out and touch God. I said, in my terminology that I know now, heaven came down and glory filled my soul that day. That was the day that God came to live within me. It was not really at the crusade because I was hedging. But that day is the day that God came to live within my soul and changed my life completely that day. Now, he didn't, like I say, when this horrible person became this good person, I grew and I was nurtured. Um, about three or four years later, a new neighbor came into our area. She and I became friends. She looked, came from Pennsylvania. She knew someone was going to be preaching in the area, asked the guy where he was preaching, and I thought she told me the Farmingdale Baptist Church. And so I told her that she went to that church, and that's not the church he was preaching in, but she said, I loved it there. So she invited me, and I became a Southern Baptist at that, at that point. <laughs> <laughs> And it, it was great. I know I hear people say, oh, you know, things about the Southern Baptists. I owe a lot of my faith and my Christianity to the Southern Baptists because I was Southern Baptist for a long, long time. And I have nothing but good things to feel about the Southern Baptist Church. They are part of my growth experience as a Christian. And so I became a Southern Baptist. Well, lo and behold, let me look at this. So I don't go off. And I've got... What do I do with your watch? I don't know, but I hope you didn't lose it. I bet I ate it. <laughs> oh, it's on my finger. <laughs> I got down. I am senile, you know. Well, as, as uh, fortune would have it, uh, my husband felt called to the ministry. Make a long story short, we moved to uh, Southwest and 
Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. Lived there for six years, probably the greatest six years of my life. Being around, some, and then this is an early growth in my Christian life, and to be around people who were that committed to God, I will never forget that experience. It was absolutely wonderful to be in that type of environment for six and a half years. We moved from there to Mississippi where my husband did some further education. He decided he didn't want the responsibility of family and so he moved to uh, Florida and left us. Mind you, he got all the education and I had a high school diploma. And I had been working as a secretary in a Baptist school, had no education. I was making $100 a week. I was taking home $100 a week and I had five children. $100 a week doesn't go very far. The Baptists once again rose to the occasion. They paid for my children to go to all the trips the youth went to. They brought me food at times. Sometimes they would just hand me $25 or $30. They were always, always there for me. They, are, they became my family, really. And so I thought, you know, I don't want to live this way just forever and ever. If my children had to go to the dentist, I couldn't afford it, and blah, 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 blah. You know how it is. I'll never forget the day I was working at this Baptist college, William Carey, and I went out to lunch with some people, which I never do, but someone was treating me. They came in my van. On the way to the restaurant, I ran out of gas, and when one of the guys went to put the gas in, I had lost my gas cap, and I had a baggie around my gas cap. <laughs> he said... I cannot believe, I mean, he just thought I was careless. No, I couldn't afford a gas cap, you know? Anyway, that's how my life was. So one day I sat down and I thought, you know, I don't want the rest of my life to be like this. I don't want my children to always do without, and I don't want to have to worry about money all the time. So I was working at college, I looked at the college catalog, and I thought, you know, if I go back to college, I'm not going to graduate until I'm 41 years old. Who's going to hire me? I thought, well, I've got to be something special. So I looked at the college catalog, and I saw the special thing was summa cum laude. So guess what I did? Finished college in two and a half years, summa cum laude. Now, this is a kid who was 67th in her graduating class in high school. It all has to do with the change in my life when I really let God take over my life. And of course, remember, I had, the motive, I had a need and I had a motivation and God carried me through. I graduated summa cum laude. Is that not a joke? <laughs> Only one in my family who uh, went to college and I graduated summa cum laude. And of course, with that on my resume, I got a job right away with um, Mississippi Power, which is part of Southern Company. And that's how I happened to be over here, actually, because I came over here to work for Southern Company in Atlanta. That's how I came over here. But anyway... But that was really a wonderful thing. I mean, here I was making $100 a week, which is what? How much would that be? $5,000 a year. And when I started with um, the power company, I made $15,700 a year, three times as much as I had been making. Allowed me to be independent. Not only that, it gave my children the encouragement to know that they too could accomplish these kinds of things if they worked hard. Worked for the company for 13 and a half years. They came up with a wonderful early retirement program. And I thought, well, at 52, I saw that nobody over 55 in the company, in the accounting department. And I thought, ooh, I bet I'm going to retire at 55. I got a master's degree. The company paid for that. And guess what? I made straight A's. 
All motivation, because if you make an A, you get 100% reimbursement. If you make a B, you get 90%. I ain't taking 90% if I can get 100% reimbursement. Anyway, so I got a master's degree. Sure enough, they offered an early retirement program, so sure enough, I retired. year before I retired, my son, who lived in Hattiesburg, which is where I had lived a lot of years, came to live with me. He was 36 years old. Wonderful year, because we got reconnected. I had, he hadn't lived with me since he was 23. Wonderful year, and I had went to the company one day right after I retired, and I said, maybe it's because my, he's my firstborn, but I love him more than anybody I love. I said, this is wonderful. And that Friday, he died of an aneurysm. He, was, he came home from work, and I, don't, I won't cry, trust me. My voice gets a little cracky, but I won't cry. He, I came, he came home from work one day. He had a headache, and he went to sleep, and he died in his sleep. And my grandson and I... Um, found him that way. He, my grandson was seven. But you know, it's a wonderful thing what God does. It was probably the best thing that my grandson was with me because when it happened, I knew that I had to be strong because of my grandson. How I responded to what was happening could shape the rest of that child's life. And so I did. And then when my children came, and that was their favorite sibling, I saw that I needed to be strong for them. Now, this does not mean I didn't grieve. I didn't go through some of the grieving processes that I hear other people say. I never blamed God. I never got angry with God. A lot of things that I hear in the grieving process, somehow somehow I skipped. This doesn't mean I didn't grieve. For the first two months, I would count the amount of time during the day that I didn't cry. Because, I mean, it is a loss, and you grieve over it. But anyway, after, the, after about six months, I looked back and I thought how God lifted me through that experience. How wonderful it was that the reason I got through it so well was because he held me in his hand. Now, I'm like every other mother. I don't want to lose my children. And I used to think I'd be mad at God if I did. Well, then God didn't take my son then, but he took me at a later time, I guess when the circumstances were right, And I realized that, you know, we always say that God's going to carry you through the bad times. And then when he does, it surprises you. And it surprised me how God carried me through the death of my son. I have a sister who's lost a son, and she's not yet over it. And she lost him before I lost mine. But somehow God lifted me, and he, he changed my life even through that. Because you know what? No matter what else happens in life, Nothing can compare to that. So there's no fear. All fear is gone. No matter what happens in life, you've had the worst. Well, in my mind, that's the worst. I've had the worst, so all fear is gone. So there are a lot of, there's a lot of growth experience with that kind of thing. I'm going to have to finish because I think my time's up. And I do have you watch. Am I finished? No. It's my time? I am finished. No. <laughs> but I'll go on if you want This whole thing is to tell you, number one, I've been Catholic, Baptist, and I've been Methodist. I am not sorry to have been any of those things because all those things brought me to how I feel about God today. Um, I have never been disappointed in God since I've trusted him. I'm sure he's been disappointed with me along my, my life, but I have never been disappointed with God. And I know I even hear people say, sometimes I doubt God. Sometimes I don't have it. I never, I never doubt God. I doubt myself not trusting God, but I never really doubt God because 
He's been so instrumental in my life. I can't, I can't, not that people are wrong for doubting God. That's just not my experience that, to doubt God. I've never really doubted him. Then you wonder, well, how did she ever get to Atlanta? Well, lo and behold, just before I turned, believe it or not, 65, I bet you thought I was younger. <laughs> just before I turned 65, I got a letter in the mail saying that because I had accelerated payments on my pension, which wasn't a whole lot because I only worked for the company 13 and a half years, but I was out of work nine months. I retired, and nine months later, the company asked me to do project work for them on a part-time basis. And I thought it was September. September, the nights were going to be long, you know, for the winter. It would be a good thing for me to have something else. So I said, sure. It was the controller. She later became vice president. And so I said, sure. So I started working three days a week for Mississippi Power. And I did that until I was 62. And then that kind of dried up because they were cutting back so much. Well, when I was 65, I get this letter saying that my pension's going to be cut. And I'll tell you some numbers. So I thought, ooh, I can't live on that. It was $18,000 a year, including my Social Security. And I thought, I can't live on 18000 a year, nor do I want to live on 18000 a year. <laughs> That's probably more important. So I thought, I can do one of two things. I can either get a PhD. I started a PhD program, but it was costing me too much money, so I dropped it. I thought I can either go back to school, get a PhD, get a, a, a stipend while I'm doing it, or I can go up to Atlanta or Birmingham and, and get a job. So this is what I did. Lived in Birmingham for two years. I have a daughter there. And they kept, my two daughters who were up here, one in Birmingham and one in Atlanta, they kept saying, it's our turn. The other two kids have had you in Mississippi. Come on up here. So I moved to Birmingham for two years, went to work for Alabama Power, went to work for a small consulting firm for a little while, then went to work for Alabama Power uh, under contract. And I didn't really have enough to do. I heard this big project was over here, and it was really great. I came over here thinking, oh, this is going to be wonderful. <clears throat> Got a little increase in pay, but not much. So I came over here to work on the project for four years. The first four years that I was here, and I was a member of this Sunday school class back then, but you probably hardly ever saw me, I worked anywhere from 60 to 80 hours a week. And because of my status with the company, I didn't get paid for overtime. Didn't get benefits from them because I had it in my retirement. Didn't get paid for overtime. In three years, I had worked 2,100 hours in overtime, which is a whole year's worth of work, and didn't get overtime for it. So in case you think I was getting real rich during that time, I wasn't getting real rich during that time. But anyway, <clears throat> but I was fortunate. You may say, well, that's a lot of work. Yeah, it, probably the most exciting work I've ever done in my life was during those uh, four years. How I managed to do that at my age, I don't really know. I think it's really a God thing again. Because I think that wherever you are in life, whatever it is you need in life, that God helps you to rise to that occasion if you listen to him and if you allow him to do those things in your life. And I think that's what he did for me all the way through my life. I think it's God's always there. Now, don't say, oh, she's a wonderful person. Mary ain't so wonderful, but God's really wonderful. Just remember this. All the things I tell you are the good things that God has done. That does not mean that I do everything great and wonderful. So I don't want you to get disappointed when you see me goof up. Just remember that this is a God thing. This is not a Mary thing. And that's the end of my story. Any questions?
Thank you, my friend. Oh, so special.